And so those indices on hedge funds, private investments, things along those lines, you have to take it with a big grain of salt. Um, and they tend to be overstated from what the actual returns were for that asset class or for those groups of investments. Welcome to Retire Smarter with Kevin Krosky. Find answers to your toughest questions and get educated about the financial world. It's time to retire smarter. Buckle up. It's another episode of Retire Smarter. Walter Storholt here alongside Kevin Cross, President, Wealth Advisor at True Wealth Design in the greater Pittsburgh area, Southwest Florida, and the home base of Northeast Ohio, but really serving clients all across the country now, especially with the podcast. Uh, a lot of people who have reached out to Kevin over the last couple of years come from all over, and uh, you're always welcome to reach out. If you have any questions, a good way to do it is to go to truewealthdesign.com and look for the Are We Right For You button to schedule a call with the uh, True Wealth team. Kevin, great to be with you today. You sounded a little perturbed, though, before we hit the record button today. <laughs> I am, um, but before, <laughs> let me start off on a positive note. Before All right, start I, positive, uh, then we can go, go crazy after that. Okay. Um, I wanted to give a shout out um, to Tyler Emmerich. So Tyler was, uh, he and I uh, did a podcast episode uh, with your help uh, a couple months ago, Walter, and uh, he's he's been you know, with us and uh, he's incredibly good advisor, just a good human being. But I said on the podcast that he was uh, taking his CFA, his Chartered Financial Analyst Level 3 exam. And um, I kind of put him on uh, <laughs> some accountability. Uh, several clients have, have, uh, have said like, hey, did you pass the test? Did you pass the test? And, uh, and his response was he hadn't gotten the results yet, which was true. But uh, we are happy to report probably um, Tyler's even happier than I am that uh, he has indeed passed uh, CFA Level 3. Um, right. and, and each of these are, I mean, they're really, it's like a 40% passing rate for each level. Oh, wow. I know a lot of smart people that have tried to pass and become a CFA and have flamed out, um, through the process and, uh, Tyler has made it. And I'm not exactly sure how many kind of dual CFAs and CFPs there are out there. Um, a few years ago, uh, I remember reading something, there was about 1100 in the entire country. I'm sure there's probably a lot more today, but I would speculate it's still below 10,000. And uh, he is one of them. So he is in definitely some rarefied air. And uh, we are, I'm incredibly proud of him and, and glad that he was able to do that. Um, and I guess somewhat related, um, we have, uh, I would that, say, a that, new that was episode 68, by the way, if anybody wants to go listen to the episode where Tyler joined us on the show and get to know him a little bit more. Yeah, thank you for that. And uh, we have another advisor who joined us um, a few months ago now. I think we're about four months into our relationship. Um, also incredibly smart. Uh, he's also a CFA. And uh, Aaron Sile is his name. And uh, he's been you know incredibly valuable. I had high expectations for him coming in. And he's exceeded those. And um, so we have a, a pretty good growing brain trust here that I am very proud of. Um, and uh, so it's just definitely it's not just me, but it takes a village, right? And we have a nice uh, growing um, village here. So, you know, kudos to Tyler, you know, welcome uh, to Aaron and uh, really happy to have them. So I guess now that right. the positive... Feel, feel good's out of the way. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes. Walter just asked me how things were going and uh, how Florida was. And I had explained that uh, we're not in Florida. Uh, so we we're in Ohio. And um, so quick aside, you know, last year through COVID, we stayed in Florida, my family and I through the whole year. 
you know, certainly we felt fortunate that we have these choices and we that we do have these two homes. We certainly worked hard to get them, but uh, we feel very fortunate and uh, that we have that flexibility in our decision making. Well, uh, if you've turned on the news, you've kind of seen how prevalent um, COVID is throughout Florida and particularly uh, the Naples area that we're in. And um, so we stay put in Ohio and we feel relatively safe here. But then um, unfortunately, so our, we have a second grader uh, who's soon to be eight and um, obviously can't get vaccinated just yet. And um, so she is, her first day of school is yesterday, Walter. I'm very happy to report that she came home and just had a fantastic first day. Uh, Mom and dad had a little bit of trepidation because the school board ruled a few days ago that uh, they weren't going to require masks. And um, it just, we were, you know, hey, everything we talk about here is like science-based and should be no surprise that I'm a vaccine supporter because that's where the science is. But uh, anyway, there was 18 out of 22 kids in her second grade class that wore masks. Talked to some other parents where that wasn't the case, particularly for their older kids. But anyway, our, our daughter had a good first day. So we're, we're staying put in Ohio for a while. But I've, I've been kind of self-professed apolitical. And I just I can't stand it, quite frankly, a lot of times. But I feel like we've kind of been being pulled into a lot of this BS because uh, a lot of the choices that other people are making are, are affecting us and our daughter. Um, so what I wanted to talk about today, let's see how we do this, because I'm sure I'm going to piss some people off and I'm okay with that. <laughs> I'll say it right now. Um, but I'm going to talk about math and some of the bad math and bad kind of comparisons that I've seen on the media. I, I tend to very rarely am I on social media, but I had a little bit of uh, an engagement recently. And I just see a lot of bad thinking, quite candidly. So I'm going to come at this from a pure mathematical perspective. And uh, I'm not going to go ahead and rail on, you know, vaccines or whatever. I mean, I think most people pretty much made up their mind by this point. Um, but I'm just going to use some recent examples that I've seen in the media that are probably using bad math or bad thinking, bad comparisons. And then I will try to relate that same sort of issue to an investing equivalent and maybe even a vaccine equivalent, if you okay. will. So let's, let's wrap it all together and just lean into it. We're going to cultivate a, a culture of positivity on today's show. Good discussion. It's okay to disagree with one another or with someone who's listening to the show. You don't have to turn it off or tune out. Let's engage. Let, let's have a debate let it be healthy, and let's wrap all this together. I, I like the idea. We'll, and, hey, we can all rally around bashing the media, right? Like all sides, yes. all sides can get <laughs> right. on board with that. So we'll use that as our galvanizing point, and then we can have some differences on the, on the other elements. But I think we can all rally around that at least. Yes. No, I, I like – and, yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, if we could have uh, a little bit more understanding, ability to see the other side, it doesn't have to be a win or lose, but – it seems like we have a very polarizing, um, quick to escalate sort of world today. Probably, you know, I think definitely fostered by social media. I mean, I just it's um, it's just a whole other ballgame with with social media these days. But but anyway, let's come back to it. So first one, I'm just going to start very. It's just too good to pass up, and it's too sad and too funny all at the same time. But I don't know if certainly. Walter, you remember when Michael Bloomberg was running um, for in his presidential com- campaign and people were talking about how much money he was spending. And um, I don't know if you happen to recall kind of the Brian Williams gaffe about that. Uh, it feels like 45 years ago that that happened. But uh, what what was the Brian <laughs> Williams? Thing? So um, Brian Williams and it was someone from the New York Times editorial board 
were commenting and, and somebody tweeted that Bloomberg spent 500 million on ads. The U.S. population is 327 million. He could have given each American one million and still have money left over. Oh, <laughs> right. Yes. Yes. Okay. That, that rings a bell now. Yes. And, and both of them, Brian Williams and this, you know, New York Times editorial board member, were like, you know, were just you know marvelled at it. Like, yes, you know, they could have. I mean, oh my gosh, what they could have done with that money. And uh, hopefully, you know, you're doing the math and moving the decimal point and see that it's it's a little bit more than a you know a dollar per person. Yes. <laughs> when you do it right. life changing, life changing yeah. dollars, life changing dollar fifty three. So so math matters. That's just bad math. That's nothing you know too profound. And I don't have the the relations to investing or to uh, to vaccines there. But um, but bad comparisons. So I was watching. I can't remember what it was. It was. The Sunday TV was on in the background. I was kind of on breakfast number two, which is a daily occurrence for me. And, you know, having some coffee and, and the kids were kind of on their iPads and we we're figuring out what we we're going to do for the day. And I heard Wait, uh, breakfast number two. This is yes. a th- this is a thing. I, this sounds like an amazing. It world is in my world. <laughs> it's in my world. <laughs> breakfast number two. Yes. I'm sorry. I just couldn't um, let that slide by. That was that was interesting. Yes. It's almost every day. But yes. Okay. Um, uh, moving right along, <laughs> um, they made a comment. Uh, it was really a story, and they're trying to make a point about uh, you know the severe decline of black farmers today versus 1910. Now, you know, I'm hoping when I say that that anybody is thinking like first 1910. Like, well, well, of course, a lot of pe- more people were farming back in 1910. <laughs> I mean, you don't have to do any research to really figure that one out. But I was I was just laughing because it was like this whole big story. And, you know, I'm not saying that I'm not saying anything about the plight of black farmers or not. I'm just saying the comparison was terrible, just like the math for Brian Williams was terrible. Um, and it's terrible for two reasons, um, among others, probably. But there, there was some cherry picking there as I dug into it. And then there was also selection bias. So I did just a quick search. I was like, well, why 1910? And I did a search in Wikipedia. I kind of had the history of agriculture in there, and apparently farming reached a peak uh, in terms of you know the number of farms and the number of people on farms in 1910. So here you're picking something from the very tippity top, uh, and I think back then they said about 40% of the U.S. population lived on farms. Walter, do 40% of the U.S. population live on farms today, you think? I'm going to go with an educated guess of no. I would say so, too. Um, So the populations of 1910 versus today are very different. So you have this problem of cherry picking where you're going back to 1910 at the tippity top. And then, you know, in hindsight, we know it's it's the top. But, you know, they, they could have chosen, say, you know, 20 years ago or 30 years ago or something. like that. No, they went back to the tippity top to make sure that they made their point and, and kind of made it unobjectively, in my view. Uh, but those populations are very, very different today. You can't really compare the population of the U.S. in 1910 versus today in that way with any meaningful conclusion. Now, the investing equivalent, and I've seen this so many times over the years, and it's BS, it's one of my pet peeves, but you'll see, I call it deceptive investment performance advertising. So basically, they are cherry picking data. Um, sometimes they're cherry picking a certain time period as in the case of 1910, or they could cherry pick a, a smaller sliver of data. Sometimes you'll see this with these indexed annuities and their, their crediting methods. And they'll look at, you know, hey, you know, the S&P 500 did this. And with this crediting method, you have gotten, you know, this really high return, um, but it's, it's really 
in my view, it's kind of data mining and doesn't really give a good indication of what you can expect going forward. Um, and also because of the this population difference, there's there's a there tends to be like a selection bias is what I would what I would call it. So two examples of that uh, under this investing equivalent and looking at different populations. So let's say that we're looking to pick a a fund that we want to invest in in a certain category, and we go to Morningstar, which is kind of you know really well known for doing this. And let's say that five years ago this category had a hundred funds in it. But today we look and there's only 50. There's only 50 remaining. Uh, and typically that, it, that happens. Uh, that happens quite a bit and a lot more than what people know and understand. But these funds that, that just disappear, they tend to be liquidated or merged into another fund that has a better track record within the fund family. And uh, they go, these go away or they die due to poor performance. You know, you, you, <laughs> if you're a mutual fund company, you want to be able to say, 80% of our funds beat their five-year Lipper average. How was that for a radio voice, Walter? That, that Pretty- was poor. <laughs> <laughs> Good thing I'm a financial advisor, I guess. Um, yeah, it, it was-, was said very sarcastically. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll leave that up to you going Actually, forward. I guess in today's world, you'd be fine then. You know, yeah, go ahead, have plenty, have plenty of bias in your reporting. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're comparing a fund, you just don't want to look the ones that survive. You want to correct for that survivorship bias, and you want to go ahead and compare to the entire category all 100 that were at the beginning of the period. So the population of those funds has changed a lot over the five years, 100 down to 50, not too dissimilar from what I discussed with you know the change in the population of farming in the US 1910 versus today. Another example that it comes up from time to time, but you'll see people um, talking about like hedge funds or or maybe some private investments or something like that. You know, all these mutual funds through Morningstar, they have to report their returns. It's public information. Um, they're very consumer friendly. Hedge funds and some other private investments, they, they don't have that obligation. Instead of being required to report, they self-report. So whenever you have any sort of self-reporting like that, there's an inherent bias. If your returns are good, you're going to report them. If your returns are not good, you're not going to report them. And it also doesn't correct for that same sort of survivorship bias where the hedge funds or the private investments that blow up don't make it into the index. And so those indices on hedge funds, private investments, things along those lines, you have to take it with a big grain of salt. Um, and they tend to be overstated from what the actual returns were for that asset class or for those groups of investments. So I'll make now here we go into the vaccine equivalency. Okay. okay. So we talked about populations, we talked about cherry picking. There's all kinds of that that's going on. Um, I made a, a comment. I, it, candidly, I was probably I was probably venting a little bit on Facebook because uh, I have some family members that I didn't want to vent to, and I was liking certain articles, and it made me feel good. And, and I'm not going to do that anymore. Um, but one of the ones that I did, I got a response from an advisor who's a friendly competitor down the road, and he re- I won't go into all the details, but you may have heard this, Walter, um, for the vaccines. Uh, there was an outbreak uh, in Cape Cod, and um, 74% yes. of the people uh, that had COVID uh, were vaccinated. You heard that? Yes, I remember that. That was big news a couple weeks ago. You got it. So he responded with this, and um, and <laughs> and, I, and I read the article, and I'm like, oh, okay, I didn't hear this. Let me let me check this out. And it said nothing about the underlying population in Massachusetts. 
And so similar issue, um, you hear when you dug in, you saw a very high percentage of the population of the people on Cape Cod were vaccinated. It was literally like mid 90s or something from uh, a couple of the sources that I saw. So the population is very different in Cape Cod, you know, where 95 percent of the people are fully vaccinated based on what I saw versus the U.S. in general. The last stats that I saw was I think 70% of the people had at least one shot and then about 50%, I think we just crossed over 50% not too long ago as we record this at the end of August, were fully vaccinated in the U.S. So the populations between Cape Cod and the U.S. in general, very, very different relative to the number that were vaccinated or not. The other thing that goes along with this, um, I would say, so let me make sure that I make this very clear, but you know, if there's a lot more vaccinated people in this in this case, 95% of the people are vaccinated and only a handful of the percentage of the people are not vaccinated. It's much more likely that you're going to see more vaccinated people end up in the hospital or have a breakout and get COVID from it. It's just basic math and statistics. The other issue here was it was a pretty small sample size. It was a couple hundred people. You know, if you look more broadly, if you look at the U.S. data, I mean, it, it's just very clear who's getting sick here. I mean, you find like one small little outlier and then you dig deep and say, okay, well, hey, I mean, the populations aren't even comparable and it's a really small sample size. This is just some, you know, cherry picking and selection bias. Um, does that make sense, Walter? It does. Absolutely. Yeah. And and that's also what then grabs the headlines, though, because it's just not sexy to say 99.9% of people vaccinated aren't ending up in the hospital. But this one spot had all these people end up in the hospital. And it's it's the whole could it happen here thing, right? Like it happened there tonight at 11. Could it happen here? You know, it's that same mentality that that's that's what draws the eyeballs and the brain. And I get it. I mean, it's it's something that I mean, it's something worthwhile to look into. But, you know, it, it's just a bad comparison. You know, it's as I've explained a couple times over. I mean, if you want to look a little bit more broadly, um, if you go over into the U.K., what over there, let's see, two thirds of the population uh, were vaccinated, but a third of the people um, were getting, uh, that were getting hospitalized were vaccinated. But if you look at it again, more of their population is fully vaccinated. Same sort of issue that you have in Cape Cod. Um, but, you know, you do have a larger sample size there, but you still have the case that, you know, the, <laughs> the vaccines are not only working, but they're precluding people from getting hospitalized at as high of a rate that they would if they had not gotten vaccinated. I mean, it's just, it's just basic math. I mean, I don't, it's, it's very cool that people are getting into data. I mean, for me personally, I mean, I like data. You know, we've, we talk about a lot of data here on the podcast. You know, everybody is now a data expert when it comes to COVID, the era of COVID. Um, but you see these bad comparisons, whether it's from the media or thinking and then, you know, without really kind of understanding what goes, goes into it. So, you know, you just got to be really careful not to draw faulty conclusions when comparing different samples or sample sizes. And you don't want to cherry pick the data. Um, at least you shouldn't want to cherry pick the data. If you do, then you are maybe intentionally trying to mislead somebody. At least you're informed, but you're intentionally misleading. One other one, I'll just give one other example. Um, but you've probably heard this one, Walter, where correlation does not equal causation. Causation, yeah. So, um, so when I was in grad school, we had a, I took several um, stats classes and kind of the classic example of this, and, I, and I, I had to do this in grad school too, was 
basically you go through um, this data and then you show that ice cream consumption is highly correlated with increases in the murder rate. So ice cream sales, increasing ice cream sales, um, are presumably turning people into a killer. <laughs> right. <laughs> so absurd, right? Absurd. Um, you know, <laughs> maybe if they're out of your favorite flavor, I'm not sure. Um, but you know, just, just doesn't make sense. So, um, who knows, you know, some reasons could be, you know, ice cream tends to be sold more so in the summer months. People are more so out and active in the summer months than, you know, maybe when there's a foot of snow on the ground. Um, we don't know definitively, but just because they're correlated does not mean that there's a causal relationship there. Um, I'll give you an investing equivalent. And, and we had to do this one too, when I was in grad school. So, it was, and it was a couple of decades ago, a couple academics showed this, that there was a very high correlation between the annual level of the S&P 500 and the annual production of butter in Bangladesh. Wow. Butter yes. in Bangladesh. Butter, and it has a nice ring to it. Does it? And I don't know about you, Walter, but I'm a big fan of butter. We have the Mo Butter, Mo Better saying on the Krosky household. Okay, nice. Um, and hey, I mean, it's congruent with my job too. I mean, it makes the S&P 500 grow. So I'm, I guess. <laughs> Invest in <laughs> win, Bangladeshian <laughs> butter. So the correlation over the period that they analyzed from 81 through 93 was about 87%. And correlation, again, it just means how related are two variables. Perfect positive correlation is is one or a hundred percent, and then um, you know perfect negative correlation is minus one or minus one hundred percent. So you know just it's because kind of, kind of reminds me of uh, the election stuff, right? We're about a year out from from when that was going on. Didn't we have some discussions about whenever there's an election, the market does this, or when a Republican occupies the White House, it almost always, it was something about the markets predict the election or elections predict the market. And there was some of that correlation causation kind of conversation around a lot of that. I remember some news stories kind of coming out about that kind of thing. Yeah, there's, there's so, if you have, if you talk to people that actually do the research, sometimes you'll hear the phrase torture the data to find statistical links. So, you know, you can, you can look at things and say, well, there's a, like a saying like, Hey, you sell in May and you go away. Um, you, know, <laughs> you know, and that's kind of the investing strategy. Um, you know, just because there's a past pattern in, in the data doesn't mean that it's a good reason. Um, as it relates to investing anyway, you know, you, you ideally you want to have a good economic reasoning linked to statistical evidence. And so you're trying to find more of a causal relationship and not just, you know, some data, but something that is theoretical and then supported by the evidence. And, and this may sound kind of wonky, but I can tell you, I've looked at so many investments or new investment strategies over the years, or even just trying to understand historically what has worked. And if you don't understand these little nuance, and it may sound like a little nuance, I mean, to me, it's become more commonplace because this is what I do and what I've done for many, many years. But, you know, like the other financial advisor that I mentioned that, you know, gave the 74% Cape Cod story. I'm like, dude, <laughs> you guys manage a half a billion dollars for your clients. You better understand this because if you're making investment decisions with that same kind of thinking, I feel sorry for your clients. Maybe that's me venting again, but I, maybe I shouldn't do that. Um, but the point being, I mean, this stuff I'll, is important. I'll, I'll allow it, Kevin. Go ahead. <laughs> right, <thank> you. <laughs> you know, so, uh, and here's, here's kind of the, I'll close the loop and I'm sure to, you know, I have a family member and I'm probably, she probably doesn't listen, but but yeah, this would, this would upset her. But so another issue. So I, I did the, the issue 
and you see this all the time in in advertising too. I mean, I just saw I was reading a business magazine this morning, and it said uh, companies with PEOs grew twenty nine percent faster than companies without PEOs. The PEO is just a professional employee organization. Um, it's a way to you know structure and outsource some of your benefits and and. HR needs and things like that. Um, but, but it, it goes back to that same thing. It's a correlation thing. It says there's no causal relationship there. And, and I doubt if you dug into the data that there, you could find one, but it, Hey, maybe it makes a good headline for the ad and for the PEO that was trying to support it and sell it. Something else that's been you know, pretty prevalent over the last, I don't know, a couple of decades, you know, back to the vaccines and, you know, this whole thing with, um, you know, autism and the increase in autism and um, how it was supposedly uh, linked to giving the MMR vaccine, which has been thoroughly debunked. Um, I'm not going to get into that. I'm sure I'm, you know, uh, offending a lot of people right now. Um, sorry, I believe the math. And um, just because there's a correlation there, it's just like the ice cream and the murder rate. Uh, it's, it's been proven now, uh, if you can understand the math, that there is no causal relationship there. They've actually shown that autism can uh, onset and, and does you know, like six to 12 months old, even before the MMR is being administered and some other things. So just because, um, so that's, I guess, maybe my final, you know, take the media or take some advertising, show the issue related to investing, close the loop with vaccines. So Walter, I honestly, I didn't prepare too much for this one, just like the last one, but it's been a lot on my mind. So hopefully I'm making a coherent I, argument I did, here. I didn't prepare with my 18 examples that I have ready to go to uh, illustrate my points <laughs> today, but I didn't prepare. I didn't prepare to the level that I normally prepare. <laughs> well, uh, I, I, I've got a few for you. So Please. I, and, and it's just because, like, so you can take it as, okay, we just have to dig further into the numbers, but it gets even tougher when you realize that people are purposefully than manipulating these things. And it can happen very subtly. And so there was one example I remember reading about uh, just a couple of months ago where it was reported um, something like less than 10% of transmission happens outside, outdoors of COVID-19. And so you might hear that and go, like it was almost written in a positive way of like, okay, less than 10% of transmission. But uh, the 10% still sounds pretty high. And I think that's where our brains go. Like, oh, it must be nine point something, Right. And, oh, that sounds a lot higher than maybe I would have thought. Well, in reality, it's actually less than 1% and may even, according to some reports, be less than 0.1% of transmission happens outdoors. But yet the way it was reported and portrayed was less than 10%. So that'd be like saying there were less than 20,000 shark attacks each year in, in the United States. And it's like, oh, does that mean there's 19,000? You know, it just leaves way. And it's just a small manipulation or omission, perhaps, or just an inaccuracy, whatever the reason behind that big gap. You can just see then how that can change attitudes, minds, and opinions. In a non-COVID example, I run a uh, family uh, football, we call it the Family Football Challenge, and um, it's just a family uh, pick'em game that I've done in my family. We're in season 11 at this point, and I'm sort of the manager of the game, and it's just a big thing we do with all of our extended family. But back in the early days of the game, we only had about 11 or 12 people involved. Now we're over, t or t over 20 at this point, but only 10 or 11 people in the family were playing the game. And each week I'd send out what the results were and, you know, as the season would wear on, I'd always look for ways to keep the people who are at the bottom of the standing still excited and interested in the, <laughs> in the events. And so, like, I'd make it a big deal when somebody would crack the top 10, you know, so-and-so got off the, you know, got off the, their losing ways this past week and had a really big week and just cracked the top 10. 
and it makes it sound like it's this really cool big thing. Well, there are only 11 people in the game, so <laughs> it wasn't that big of an accomplishment. <laughs> but I can massage those statistics to kind of say whatever I want them to say. I mean, you can look for positives and negatives in almost any statistic. And uh, that's what's just so like dangerous in today's world, because then you combine that social media element that you were talking about. These things can get posted. And even if they're completely wrong, the damage is done because everybody sees it, runs with it, makes up their mind with it already. And they may not see the correction. They may not see the fallout from that being wrong. And so then it's just it's over at that point. That's already sunk into their brains. And we as humans have such a tough time of undoing something we've already made up our mind on. And I feel like that's the trap that we keep falling into here, whether it's, you know, investments, COVID or some other subject. Um, and that's just the really the really tough part. You, you can do this with individual stocks, right? Like you can go and look at the uh, anybody could go play this game, go pick any stock and look at the chart and then look at the one month view of the chart. And you might say, man, this stock is awesome. Look at that. It's just going up and up and up and then expand it out to a three month view or the six or the year or even better, the all time view. And you're like, oh, wait a second, this stock that's $4 that I was like, oh, this, is, this thing's gone up from two. This is fantastic. Used to be $150 back in the day. And now, you know, it crashed for many, many years and has a small resurgence and just tells a completely different story every time you just widen the view out a little bit. And I feel like we just don't have the capacity sometimes to absorb all of that with these statistics and information that we hear on a daily basis. Well, there was, I don't know who said it, and I'll paraphrase the quote as I recall it, but what you were just talking about was like these chartists, you know, kind of looking at this chart of some, you know, past pattern or something. I, I believe it was a Nobel laureate, you know, somebody that, you know, I would have been reading that I would have been trying to learn from on investing. And um, he said, chartists are similar to astrologists. However, as I see that, I'm kind of offending the astrologist, um, <laughs> implying that the chartists are even worse. Uh, so, um, you know, it, it just doesn't, it doesn't really work, uh, I guess, is the point there. You know, I guess tangential to this, I, and I completely agree, there's like this tribalism, it seems. I make up my mind and, and change my mind. I'm happy to learn from people that are smarter than me. I try to do it all the time. I personally like to listen to, there's um. There's something called Intelligence Squared podcast where you'll have a debate of, you know, two educated people on opposing views of a topic. And I like to, it's pretty cool because you get to hear these informed people argue their point. Um, they take a poll before the talk is given and then they take a poll after. And basically the winner of the debate is um, uh, the person that sways more of um, the population towards their view. And um, I, I enjoy it. Um, I try to you know, see both sides as best as I can anyway. But yeah, I mean, social media and this tribalism, I mean, it's just, I don't know. It, to me, it's, I just don't like to participate in it. So I had a, a bit of a fail on that recently and I will go ahead and abstain from it moving forward. But I just read a, a book or I listened to it. It's called Mine, M-I-N-E exclamation point. Um, two law professors wrote it and they, it was, it's about property rights. I know if you're listening all this long, <laughs> that didn't put you to sleep, but it was actually really good. I was good. not so expecting what, that by the like, way. One of the questions, for example, uh, it's all stories. Um, but you know, you get on an airline seat and, um, you know, you have that recline button. Let's say that you're not on Frontier, or one of the discount ones. Um, so, who owns this? Who who owns? It? Do you have the right to recline, or does the person behind mm. you have the right to that space? Who, who owns that airspace? That who three owns inches? that two or four <laughs> inches or whatever it is? 
And so they, it, it was a really cool story. Um, or, or the armrest, like the, who, yep. how do you divvy up the armrest, right? You, you got it. And, um, and it talks about how these property rights uh, really change over time. And it was fascinating. Um, but there was, there's also, they, they interjected, there's uh, an economic thinker, I think he's deceased now, Ronald Coase, um, really smart guy. I've heard a lot of different professors kind of use him in some examples where, you know, you kind of look at, you know, these kind of competing objectives. Um, so like, you know, for my daughter right now, you know, we would prefer that she wears a mask and we just precludes her from getting sick. I mean, I don't, I'm not scared if she gets, you know, COVID candidly. I know it's a very low probability that something bad is going to happen. I don't want her to get a common cold, let alone COVID. And I don't want her to pass it around to somebody else that is maybe immunocompromised or something like that. I just, I just don't think that that's, um, responsible thing to do. That's my value. Um, so, uh, but the people that don't want to wear the mask say, Hey, you know, my body's my temple. You know, you can't tell me what to do. Like, well, I mean, I don't know about you, Walter, but the last time I tried to sell my kidney, one of my spare kidneys, I wasn't able to sell it. So there's, you draw these lines somewhere in society and you make these choices. And one of the things that both of those arguments I think are, are, are valid. You know, I do see the choice that I don't want to go ahead and I said this in two episodes ago. You you kind of preface the whole aligning your um, values, aligning your investments with your values, and you said Kevin's going to tell us what you should do. And I quickly said I'm not going to shit all over you, and I, I believe that. Um, <laughs> so the person that doesn't want their breathing restricted, I th- my body's my temple. Valid argument, can't debate that at all. Um, but also on the other side of it, I, it, what I explained with my daughter too, and hey, I want her health protected. You know, this Delta variant particularly is, you know, incredibly contagious. Um, and there's also some other, you know, potential passing on even to vaccinated people that are immunocompromised or otherwise, and they can get sick. Um, so I think both of those arguments are valid. But the reason why I brought up Coase was he has a framework for kind of working through this. And it's simply he acknowledges this and he just he tries not to go ahead and get into the moral aspect of any of this. But you know, it, it's really if you're trying to optimize the benefits of the resource or if you're just, you know, if there's maybe not benefits, but you're trying to minimize the costs and you just want to do it in which way it makes most sense and kind of tilt the scale. So while both of those arguments, I see it, uh, them as valid anyway, I, I do try to see the other side. Um, I think when you look at it and, and you kind of, you know, you have this conflict and realizing that both are valid and you have to tip the scale one way or the other. To me, I mean, it, it's a no-brainer to go ahead and tip the scale and let's just wear the mask. <laughs> One, I want my kids to be in school. I want them learning. Two, if they have an outbreak, you know, they're going to be distance learning and the school's going to be shut down. Um, so I want them to be in school. And, you know, if somebody's immunocompromised, I don't want you know, I don't want them to get sick. Um, I was at a fantasy football draft with my college buddies over the weekend. Um, it was good fun. We do it every year get to see about 14 buddies of mine that I haven't seen, you know, that we, we grew up together and uh, we still stay in touch. And uh, one of us was not vaccinated and I kind of knew it going in or at least speculated it. And he was my roommate uh, for a couple of the years. And then uh, there was um, another friend who was also a roommate in my junior and senior year who has Crohn's disease and he's immunocompromised. He's vaccinated. Um, but you know, he's the kind of person, you know, when you bring it down to the person level, rather than just talk about some broad statistics that could get hurt from somebody like my other roommate, not getting vaccinated and passing this around. So both arguments are valid. I'm not saying they're not, I don't want to shoot all over anybody, but sometimes you have these tough decisions and you have to make a call. To me, it's a no brainer. 
to get vaccinated. To me, it's a no brainer to wear a mask, particularly since my child is under 12 and doesn't have the choice to get vaccinated. But hey, it's my podcast. I guess I can say that, right, Walter? <laughs> you, you you have the uh, liberty to say whatever you want, man. That's uh, I suppose maybe one of the uh, apps could potentially kick us off if they didn't like something you said. But for the most part, <laughs> it's your show. All right, it's true. <laughs> you own your RSS Wait, feed. Wait, you know, that's a good, that book, it's actually in that book too, mine, it talks about property rights where possession is like nine-tenths of the law in person, but in the digital world, it's kind of the opposite of that. You know, if you download a book on Kindle, you think it's your book, but hey, Amazon may just wipe it clean and, you know, <laughs> they they can do that. So that book, mine, I, it was really interesting. I mean, I know I'm a bit of a nerd uh, to some regard, but I think with the stories, I think a lot of people can get a lot out of it. Uh, reviewed by Kevin Krosky, one of the best property law books of all time, mine. Go check it out today. It sounds like, uh, is, is, is that how your your review would read? <laughs> you, you got it. <laughs> Fantastic. I'm um, a top... I'm a top um, 10 million reviewer on Amazon. There you go. There you go. Just remember, um, that, that seemed like a little bit of a nod to that, um, you know, 20,000 shark attack stat. That was that was pretty good. I'm a, I'm a top 10 million reviewer. That's fantastic. Uh, I, I will leave you with this. Just remember that 90% of statistics can be made to say whatever you want them to say. That's the final statistic to share on today's show. So I was Walter, I was going to say that, but mine was going to be 98%. But. Well, we just have to look a little bit more into the data. That's the wiggle, the wiggle factor. There's a little wiggle factor in some of those yes, numbers. You, yes. I, I wish that they taught statistic in, well, they do teach it in high school, but you don't have to take it. But yeah, I mean, it's good to understand. And statistics helps you understand. It, it does. But um, I don't know. Hopefully this brought some clarity to people that are open to having it. I think you brought up an important point, too, with uh, the situation at the fantasy football draft and, and your friends. There's kind of a necessary element to do both of these things, right? Look at the stats, look at the broader view, but also remember the human element, the personal side, and the individual interactions that we have with people. So it's it's not one or the other. It's not the one anecdote that you've experienced, and that shapes your worldview, but it's also not just the broad numbers. I think sometimes you have to kind of look at both of those things, your your own real life experiences and the things you've experienced yourself and combining that with what's happening in the larger numbers that might help shape and put things into the right perspective for you in, in some situations, perhaps. So, yeah. Um, and back to the and, and good old Ronald Coase, you know, minimizing the cost, um, you know, so the cost is my daughter, you know, wears a mask uh, and, you know, it's I don't know about you, but I didn't hear about some big outbreak last school year about all these kids dying off or going to the hospital from wearing masks, you know, maybe, yeah, sure. It's more comfortable without having it, but that cost versus the other cost of not being in school, not learning, you know, infecting somebody that's immunocompromised, spreading it, you know, you name it. I mean, it, to me, <laughs> when I look at this economically from a cost benefit perspective, it just becomes a no brainer. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing your perspective, for, for being a little opinionated on today's show. That's okay. We can do that every once in a while here, Kevin. I thought we had the conversation in a, uh, in a respectful way, and, uh, and hopefully nobody's uh, you know, too, too upset with you on today's show. But I thought it was, uh, it was good content and very interesting to listen to your comparisons between this and then also in the investment world where we see a lot of these statistical, I don't know if we want to call them anomalies, misinterpretations, errors, bad conclusions, but something in that realm. Uh, interesting to see how those things all play out.
And I'll say, I'll say this too, Walter, if, uh, if anybody's still listening, um, and uh, you happen to see a headline that doesn't make statistical or mathematical sense or, or something, it doesn't have to be a headline, even an article. Send it to me. I will. Maybe this could be a future segment that we do because that would be fun. Yeah, no shortage of this that's out there. Um, but I mean, I see it all the time. Um, and with a little bit of help from our listener audience, maybe we can have a little bit of fun with this. And and not only just fun, but uh, really educate some people to to make some better comparisons and do some better thinking. The uh, the messed up stats segment. We'll have something something along messed those up segments. math. Messed up math. There we go. There we go. Messy math. Messy math. I think we've we've zeroed in on it. Uh, yeah, that sounds great. Uh, if you want to send those to us, please do. You can contact us through the website truewealthdesign.com. That's truewealthdesign.com. Uh, it's also where you can schedule a 15-minute call with an experienced financial advisor on the True Wealth team. Just click the Are We Right For You button. And you can also call 855-TWD-PLAN. Kevin, thanks for uh, joining us on the show today, taking a little risk, stepping out there, and uh, we'll look forward to chatting with you again on the next episode. Appreciate it, Walter. Thank you. All right. For Kevin, I'm Walter. We'll see you next time on Retire Smarter. Information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information is obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accurateness and completeness cannot be guaranteed. All performance reference is historical and not an indication of future results. Benchmark indices are hypothetical and do not include any investment fees.